Well, I think you know what I'm going to say. Let's take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And our text this morning will be verses 8 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, sorry, chapter 13, beginning at verse 8. Listen to God's inerrant word this morning as I read. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy and they they will be done away with, they will be done away. Sorry. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Join with me as I pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we again pray as we go to your word this morning that you would illuminate the truths of your word. And again, Lord, we know that nothing good will be done outside of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And so I pray this morning that as as we look at this text, that you would again give clarity, that you would uh, protect your word, and that as we go forth, we will have a better understanding of your view of love and the permanence that it takes in your economy. And so I pray this morning that you would convince us through your word this morning in your name. Amen. Well, we are about to embark on a text that in many ways um, is controversial. We here at Bowmanville Baptist Church teach that tongues and prophecy and knowledge have ceased. There's no more miracles today. There were sign gifts that were taking place in the first century, but are no longer taking place no longer exercised after the first century in the local church or in in the body at all. And so as we look at this text that now is going to deal with the idea of love, but it's also going to deal about uh, the idea of spiritual gifts and whether they cease or not, we're going to recognize that in some ways we're going to get a piece, maybe a glimpse of some theology that probably was not primary on the apostle's mind when he first started. Just like he did in Philippians where he talked about the greatness of the incarnation when he talked about humility, we're going to maybe get a glimpse as to the idea of if tongues and gifts still exist today, even though his primary topic here is not to discuss the lengths of gifts or when they exist, 
but rather to tell you that love is permanent. That love is permanent. And so we, before we start any of anything else, we want to recognize that Paul is writing this passage to tell you that love is permanent. It is the greatest, he says. It is the thing that lasts forever. And so we want to make sure that we recognize that he is trying to make a contrast between something that is temporary and something that is permanent. And so before we get into the weeds and we go through all of, all of the details, we want, to, we want to make sure that we don't lose track of what Paul is trying to do. He wants you to understand that love is the greatest. And he's been going through here in chapter 13 exactly that idea. That love is the thing that we need. He started off with saying, if you remember, if we even go back farther into chapter 12, he was talking about spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, he starts in chapter 12. And so we know because of the way of the language back in chapter 7 where he starts the same way, he's answering a question that the Corinthians have about spiritual gifts. And then he goes through and he wants to make sure that we understand that there is, there is a variety of gifts and different gifts and yet there's one body and we're all together and there's unity and diversity. He even gives us a priority of gifts and their effectiveness for the building up of the body. And he really still hasn't even answered any of their questions because he really won't answer any of the questions until he gets to chapter 14. But he wants to lay this theological base for us before he answers the questions about, the, about gifts. And so as he comes now through chapter 13, we, we saw that he started with the idea that we needed love. And we saw the preeminence of love. In other words, without love, you are nothing. You can exercise your spiritual gifts till, till the cows come home, but if you don't have love, you don't produce anything of spiritual value. I thought I'd throw a Western term in there for you. Right? He says, it, actually, if you exercise your spiritual gifts without what? Without love, you are nothing. Not a nobody. Nothing. It's like it's, you are nothing. Basically, in the church, you're, you're that, you know, when you put your finger in a cup of water and you pull it out, that's you. Nothing. And then he says, when you exercise your spiritual gifts without love, really, you produce nothing of gain for yourself. You get no spiritual reward. You don't get God saying, oh, good job. You get nothing, no credit at all. And so he says, we, we need love. And then we saw last time that as, and we, we did a whirlwind tour last week. I know that. I apologize for that. I should have spent a little longer. Not in one Sunday, sorry. <laughs> you, were, you sat long enough last week. <clears throat> but we, we raised the question, well, if, we, if, if love is so important, what is it? And so last week, we really saw the perfections of love, or we could even say the parts of love. And, and we broke it down. We said it was like looking through, uh, uh, seeing a prism and seeing all the colors of love. 
and we saw all the aspects of love. This is what it looks like in action. And we saw that love was, was a verb, right? All of these were verbs. There's something that you do, not just a feeling. They're all verbs. In other words, love is active. It works out in real time and space. And so after saying all of that, Paul now moves into this section and he wants to tell us about the permanence of love. In other words, the Corinthians have been pursuing spiritual gifts and they've particularly been pursuing tongues. They wanted the showy gifts because that brought them attention. That brought them status, they thought. And Paul wants to remind them that there is something greater to pursue than tongues. There is something that is more important that they should pursue in their lives, and that is love. And the reason that they need to pursue love is because love is permanent. Love never disappears. It starts and it goes all the way through eternity. And we could even say this, love is part of God's character. God is love. And so it will continue through all the way through eternity because God will not stop being love. He cannot stop being himself. And so it is the, it is the virtue that we are to pursue above all else. Now, as we go into the text and as we look at the text, we're really just going to see it in two simple, simple um, points. Love outlasts spiritual gifts and love outlasts virtues. Two simple points. Now, having said all of that, what comes up in this text is, is Paul actually giving us the clue as to whether spiritual gifts cease or not? Because we're going to look at that text and we're going to see where it says it's, it's, when, the, when the perfect comes, the partial is done away with. So we've got to figure out a couple of things. What is, what is the perfect? What is the partial? What is, what is Paul doing here? Now, I will again say to you that there are at least six major takes on this text. And in fact, this text is used by those who believe, continuous, who believe that tongues and signs and wonders continue. They use this text to support their point. They say this text teaches that signs and wonders continue on. Then we have those who believe that this really teaches us nothing about the timing about, of, of gifts. In other words, it really, its point is not to tell you anything about timing. It's only to tell you that love is better than all. And so there is a group who would believe that. And then there are others with various degrees who will teach you that, there are, that this actually teaches you that sign gifts, specifically tongues and, and knowledge and wisdom, cease at a particular time when the perfect comes. So the perfect is what we're going to have to discover what it means. 
Now, I'm going to give you a clue what my understanding is. I'm going to tell you up front. I'm going to ruin the surprise just in case I lose you in my convoluted notes that I have coming later on. I would understand that Paul is teaching here, though he is primarily teaching that love is supreme and love lasts, that actually there is a time when the perfect comes, which I would understand to be, and I combine these two, the maturity of the church and the, and the finishing of the canon, that there was a time where we had partial knowledge. In other words, that, that there was not that, the, not that the prophecies or the knowledge received was actually, shall we say, incomplete or there was something fallible about it, but rather we only had parts of it. So we would get a prophecy, we would get a piece of wisdom, but we didn't have it all. But when the canon came complete and the church reached maturity, there no longer was a necessity for prophecy. There was no longer a necessity for knowledge and a necessity for tongues. And so I would understand right off the hop that the perfect is the maturity and the, and the completion of the canon because I think they're tied together. You can't have maturity without the canon. And having taught that then, that's, that those gifts ceased at that point. And what carries on through all church history then is hope, love, and faith. And those will continue until we reach heaven and ultimately we will not need faith or hope because faith will become sight and hope will be realized. So I have given you the whole sermon right there, so let's just close in prayer. All right. <laughs> so Paul begins this section and he says, love never fails. And then we say love outsell us spiritual gifts or is greater than spiritual gifts. Love never fails. And maybe we could make this the overarching theme. And what I want you to notice, just so you notice, what is what verse one starts with what? I mean, verse eight. Love with love. What does verse 13 end with? Love. It's kind of like an inclusio. So whatever is going on here, we have to take this whole section together. We can't separate verse 13 apart. We can't take it all apart. It has to hang together as a unit. So whatever we're going to study here is going to be held together by those two end posts, love and love, right? Love never fails. The idea uh, with love is to fall into decay or to be abolished. So there are different types of falls, never be destroyed, never fall apart, never fall short, never fail to affect. But the idea here is that fall, love never is abolished. It never ceases. It never goes away. It and in fact, it says in, in, in the end, it abides. It is always here. It, it never ceases. There's never a time where love does not continue on. It is valid. It stays to the end. And so he says, listen, love never fails. 
This is what I want you to know. This love that I've called you to love, this love that I've told you you need, recognize that love is never something that ceases. It never comes to an end. It does not fall into decay. It's never abolished. It will always continue forever. And so Paul lays that down right away. And then he says, but, in contrast, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So he says, there's, some, uh, there's a contrast here between something permanent and something that is temporary. Something that will never fail and something that will go away. Now notice this. He says, but there are gifts of prophecy. Literally in the Greek, there are prophecies. But in context, I think he's speaking of gifts. I think even, even with the, the thing of tongues, it's hard to have a partial tongue. He talks about partial prophecy. It's hard to have a partial tongue. And so I think the, the translators are, are correct when they put in this word gift. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. And this word done away with ha is an active form. In other words, the idea here is they will be made to go away. Something, something from the outside will make them go away. The prophecies will simply go away. Now again, remember... We have defined prophecy as always being foretelling, foretelling. So when he said what he's talking about here then is that there is going to come a time when prophecy will be made to cease. It will have something outside of it take it away. And he says the same thing with the gift of knowledge. Remember, we define the gift of knowledge as having wisdom from God who, who is giving a revelatory information, sometimes to interpret the revelation, sometimes new information, primarily on how to behave. And we said that was a gift to the early church. And he says there's going to have a time when that is also made to go away, done away with. It means to, to reduce to inactivity to cause to cease, to put out of use, to put away. And he says, something's coming that's going to put that away. Now we got a hint in the next verse. It says, when the perfect comes. But he says, in between that, he has this word about tongues. Now remember, this is where the Corinthians are, are really after it, right? This is, this is for them, this is the, the pinnacle of spiritual gifts. And he says this, if there are tongues, they will cease. They will cease. Now notice that. He doesn't say they will be done away with. He says they will simply what? Stop. Simply stop. Now this is a, a middle tense here, which means they will just cease on their own. They will just cease on their own. It's like it's got a built-in expiration date on these tongues. They've got a battery, and the battery life is only so long, and when that battery is used up, it just ceases. 
Now, I can't help but feeling that the Apostle Paul was, was being a little cheeky here. I almost feel like he is saying, you know, prophecy, which I've told you is, is, the, is the best for edification for the church and a word of knowledge because it's, people can understand it. They're, they're going to have to be made to stop. But this gift you pursue, hmm, it's, got, it's got a small battery and it's not going to last very long. It's just going to quit on its own. Now, I know there are those who would argue, well, this is stylistic. He's just, he's changing the verbs here and he's just trying to make it, it sound like, you know, so he's not using the same word in the same sentences all the time. And so really, there's no difference in these words. But Paul's pretty free to use this word through the, the word done away with in the rest of the passage. And so it would be seem it would be it would seem that Paul is very deliberate here, because in the rest of the passage does he mention tongues again? He doesn't. Now, if he wanted to draw attention to the fact that tongues were ceasing and they were quitting, it's pretty hard for him to see a better way for him to do it, right? They simply what ceased, and guess what? Now we're not going to talk about them because they're done. They're 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 they're, they're going to finish. They're going to stop. We don't have to worry about that. And so he says, if there is knowledge, it will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. And so Paul says, actually, they're just going to quit. They're not. The, you think they're so great. You pursue them so much. They're gone. They're just going to quit. And you're pursuing something. You're pursuing something that can't last. You're pursuing something that won't last. And so Paul says, maybe you need to reconsider what you're pursuing. Then he says in verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with, will be done away. So he says, at this present time, we prophesy in part, and we prophesy in part. In other words, every time that we prophesy, did I say the same thing twice? That's for emphasis. <laughs> another perfect day okay for we know in part and we prophesy in part so he says listen we've been given revelation we've been given prophecy we've been given gifts of knowledge and he says we know in part and we prophesy in part in other words there are prophecies but there's only part part of all knowledge is there only part of all information is there He's not saying, he's not saying that when we prophesy in part and we know in part that there is something wrong with the prophecy or with the knowledge itself. This is not, this is where we don't line up and say, aha, see, I told you so. Partial knowledge means that you can have fallible knowledge. You, you can have fallible prophecy. 
All through the Old Testament, a prophet needed to be what? 100% perfect and right. And it is no different for New Testament prophets and apostles. They need to be 100% right. There was no such thing in Scripture as fallible or partial knowledge or partial, partial prophecy. But what he is saying is, at this point, we have had various prophecies and various pieces of knowledge, but we don't have everything that we're going to have, not everything that God has intended to give us. But we still do, we still prophesy. We still have the gift of knowledge and we still have the gift of prophecy right now, Corinthians. But there's coming a time. There's a coming a time when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And he says, there's coming a time where we will have the church will who has now remembers not the nation of Israel. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to behave. They don't know what God wants from them. They are dependent at this point as scriptures being written on the prophecy and knowledge to know how to behave. And he says there's coming a time when all of that revelation that God was giving you is going to come together. All scripture will be written. The church will have matured knowing how to behave. And then guess what? The partial will be done away with. In other words, there's no need for us to continue to have prophecy. There's no need for us to have wisdom because the church is mature and the canon is finished and we no longer need to have anything given to us for life and godliness. It is fulfilled. It is complete. And so he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. I don't need to prophesy. And in fact, if prophecy stayed open and knowledge stayed open, then you have a natural undercutting of the sufficiency of Scripture. Now you start to cast suspects, suspicions on the Scriptures because after all, it's not everything that we need for life and godliness. It's not sufficient for godliness. And we have other revelation that's coming. And you can only imagine the hodgepodge that that would ultimately create because if we have a thousand prophets, how are we all going to get them together so that we can actually put all of that information and codify it so that we can get a full picture of what God has for us? And so God has graciously given us his word. He's graciously said that this is his word has been given by the Holy Spirit. It's been recorded by the apostles. We're told not to add to it. This is what he has for us. And this is Paul's point here. There is partial. There is complete. And when the perfect comes, and again, this word perfect here can be translated complete, mature. It is often used in scripture in different ways. It's not, it's not, I, I actually wouldn't trans, I actually wouldn't um, translate it this way I think I would I would translate it complete complete 
It's not perfect against imperfect. It's, it's the idea of partial versus completeness. It's not infallible versus and, and being correct. It's not perfect against imperfect. It is partial against completeness that is his point here. Right? So the partial gives way to the what? To the complete. Now you can say it's perfect because the word of God is perfect, but the idea here is it's completeness. So if you don't believe me, I just want you to look at verse 11 because he's going to illustrate it. You say, Pastor Tony, you don't give a lot of illustrations. That's true. But Paul's going to give us one and he's going to illustrate it for us. Look at verse 11. And, and, and some people have a hard time with this verse and they have a hard time placing it within the context because they're so stuck on perfect versus with the idea of perfect versus imperfect that they forget to realize that his point is partial versus complete. And it makes perfect sense when he gives this analogy here. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. I believe I use that in my home lately. But Paul is making a point here. And the idea is this. When I was a child, I did the things of a child. I reasoned like him. I had opinions like a child. I, 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 I thought like them. I was concerned with childish things. I had the reasoning of a, of a child because I, I wasn't able to reason completely because I wasn't what mature. I wasn't fully developed and complete as an individual. But he said, as I matured, there came a point where I became a man and I put away those things. I don't need them anymore. I put away my dolly. I put away my stuffed animals. I put away my little cars because I drive a real one now, right? And he says, I put that aside. And this is exactly the point that Paul is making in this passage. There was a time where there was a need for what? Revelation and prophecy, where I needed those knowledge because I, I was immature. I didn't have everything I needed. But now that I have the word of God, I don't need those childish things anymore. I don't need that support. I don't need that input because now I am a what? I'm a man. I'm a man. And so his point of the illustration is really clear. I've matured. I have come to completeness as a person. I no longer need the childish things. And Paul is saying, listen, those childish things were necessary at the beginning, but as the church has grown and as the word of God is completed, we no longer need them. Are you tracking with me so far? Now we're going to go into muddy waters. Now we're going to go into muddy waters. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know, I will know fully just as I have also been known. 
Now we hear that language, and for many, and for maybe most of us, immediately we think the second coming of Christ. We, we think of some something, whether it's death, whether it's the return of Christ, whatever that is, the eternal state, and we think he's speaking here of seeing Christ face to face. But I want to suggest to you that Paul is continuing on with another analogy just like he did when he talked about being a child and then growing into a man. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now notice this, I, we see and I know. What gifts does that sound like? Prophecy and knowledge, right? I think he's referring again to prophecy and knowledge here. And he's saying, right now, I see dimly in the mirror. I don't have all of it. But when I have all of it, I will what? I will see myself clearly. Remember, James talks about looking into the perfect law of liberty. He's saying it's a mirror that shows you who you are. And I think it is as just le as legitimate to interpret this passage, not as a, as a, a, a future passage, but as a, as a passage that says right now, when the perfect comes, when I have the full word of God, I will see myself, I will see clearly all that God has. And then he says, but I know fully, just as I have already been fully known. In other words, I will have the ability to have the knowledge of everything that God has for us through the word of God. It has been given to me. So it's not necessary for us to leap into the future and say that Christ, that this is speaking of when we see Christ. I would suggest to you, even if it is, Paul's point is still the same. His point is partial versus what? Completeness. Partial ver versus completeness. And so I think Paul here is laying out a case of partial versus completeness and saying, listen, you Corinthians are striving for tongues and they've just quit. And even the gifts of prophecy and knowledge will cease. When the word of God is finished and the church has come to maturity, these will no longer be necessary for you. They're temporary. Love never fails. Pursue love instead of the sign gifts that you are trying to pursue and give you glory. Love is superior because it is permanent. Well, if that's not, not enough, Paul says, guess what? Not only does love outlast temporary gifts, but it also outlasts a couple of Christian virtues. He says, but now, but now. Again, a temporal word, but now, Faith, hope, and love abide. He says, right now in this present age, though th those gifts may have stopped, there's something that continues throughout the church age. There's something that continues to abide. It continues to, to exist. It doesn't cease to stop. 
And that is what? Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. And he says, this is what continues on. This is what, this is what will go on throughout the church history. He says, but, but now, during this time, these three virtues will be continuing on through the church age. But he says, but of these three, the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Well, how so, Paul? How is love greater than faith and hope? Well, I would suggest to you that love is superior to faith and hope because love goes throughout all eternity. Love goes throughout all eternity. It never ceases. Remember where it says in, about faith? 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, for, yeah. For 2 Corinthians 5, 6, sorry. Therefore, always be, uh, be of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent for the Lord. For we walk by faith, not sight. We are of Good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent with the body and to be with the Lord. In other words, we walk by faith right now because we have not sight. In other words, there's going to come a time where hope will be replaced by actuality. Right? We hope, we trust in God's promises, we trust for heaven, we trust for our salvation, we hope for these things. We look forward to that time where we will see him face to face. But there's going to come a time where what? Faith becomes sight. Where faith comes to become sight. Then he says of hope, for in hope we have been saved, but we hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. In other words, hope, hope will be given up as well. We don't need to hope. We're not looking forward to what will come because it will already be there. We will see it. It will be a reality. And so Paul's point here is simply this. Love is the thing that needs to be pursued above all else. Because it's the only thing that lasts. As I said at the beginning, God is love. God will always be love. Love will go throughout all eternity. Because faith and hope will be realized when we get to heaven. And so Paul says to the Corinthians... Pursue love. Go back to verses 4 and to 7 and see how love is to be worked out, recognizing that this is where you should be putting your energy, not pursuing fancy sign gifts that bring you status, but the self-sacrificing love that is described in verses 4 to 7. He says, this is the only thing that is permanent all of the rest of this will go away 
And so he says, recognize its permanence, recognize its importance, and pursue what lasts. Pursue what's lasts. And so Paul, again, wants to emphasize to us the permanence of love. And he does that by demonstrating that temporary spiritual gifts will cease. And even the virtues that last through all the church age, like hope and faith, will be realized. And the only thing that lasts is love. And so let us be a church who recognizes the permanence of love and let us pursue love so that we might pursue what lasts. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. And Lord, we thank you that though the details may be disputed, we know that no doubt that all agree that love is, is never fails. And the greatest of these is love. And so, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would make us a loving church, that you would spread your love abroad in our hearts, that we might be those who pursue love that we might see its value and recognize that not only are we of no value if we have no love in our ministry, but it is truly the only thing that lasts. And so I pray that you would help us to pursue those things that are last, those things that are eternal, those things that are pleasing to you, I pray in your name. Amen.